troppo sexy amore mio Sexy sono io, non vorrei dirmi addio Greg doesn't like the Italiano version of I'm so sexy, I'm too sexy I don't know whether it's I don't like it Well, I don't like it, but I <laughs> I know you don't like it <laughs> Kind of the audacity of it is somewhat endearing. <laughs> Reminds me of 99 Luftballons. Right? Oh, it's interesting how sexy is sexy in Italian. I guess. I'm too is not I'm too in Italian, but sexy is sexy. Yeah, but these words, I mean, it's like computer is computer in Japanese, right? So it's, it's like. Yes, but we did. Americans did. <laughs> English-speaking people didn't invite, invent sexy. Did they? The word sexy? Maybe. It should have a translation to Why? Italian. What do you mean it should have? Italian is like the. Well, I guess French is the romance. Yeah, French is the romance language. Yeah. Well, well, okay. Now, actually, a romance language is defined. But can you turn it down a little bit? No. <laughs> A romance language is defined by having male or female okay. uh, um, you know, uh, preposi- prepositions for your for your words. So, la or la, for example. So that, those are the romance languages. But French is the one that is most commonly associated with right. love. Okay, so there may be no literal translation for sexy. But when you're writing this song, there has to be an approximation in Italian instead of using sexy. It's like... I don't know, it's like saying McDonald's in like you know in a song. You know, it's like sure it's McDonald's, but this has got to be a restaurante, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> I think you're you're not taking into account the, the evolution of culture and how language affects culture, and certain concepts just don't come across in other languages so we get words like we we have words that we've incorporated from French and we've incorporated from well, German Shishimi is not an English word well, no, right? it's like we call it raw fish you know no, that, that's not of, that's no? not what I mean no okay. I'm, I'm talking more about um, uh, when, if, if we say something is blasé we're using a French word right but it's it's not so it's just it's a word that was you know, came over from from France that's not an English word but it, it, that was the best description of oh really I'm too sexy oh. for my love that must be can we not you want to listen to all the versions of I'm too sexy no I really don't oh come on Greg I imagine nobody else does either hmm well, you'd come up with something better than. So here's a bunch of, of, of words that we borrowed from French. Uh, biscuit. Cachet. Camouflage. Coupon. Coupon. Uh, so I wouldn't... Things that are still seem French. Fait accompli. We talk about like that. Uh, faux pas. Right. All right, so so I, I went to Google Translate and I said translate sexy from English to Italian, came up as sexy, so I said translate sex from English to Italian, it's sesso. Mm-hmm. So yeah, something about sexy. There's no, I mean, I'm sure 
Google is not the authoritative linguist of the world, but... Lots of words here. Raison d'etre. Well, that's a, more of a phrase, but uh, rapport, ratchet, rectangle, regal, regime, relay, renaissance, of course. Uh, rendezvous. Rendezvous. Perfect. Great example. So Italian does have a translation for horny. Well, horny is not sexy, right? No, it's not. Corneo. I'm so corneo. <clears throat> Daryl, every gig we play, Dendy, Dista, and this Mr. Nazi Jockin' Jay. I ain't lying, girls be crying, cause I'm on TV. They even bother my father, cause he's down with me. Oops. That didn't. That was dumb. Sorry. You're so dumb. I'm dumb. You're so dumb. I am kind of dumb. Uh. <laughs> So, uh, have you been watching Fargo yet? Not yet. I'm waiting. Okay. I want to binge it. I want to binge it. Yeah. All right. I'm happy with it. I mean, I've, I've, I don't know. I don't know how I would compare it to the previous seasons, but I am very happy with it. It, it's, it's not a slouch of a season. Um, (laughs) shit's catching on fire all over the place. That's what happens in Fargo. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I decided to just wait to binge it when I, you know, when I can. Uh, so I was kind of uh, miffed that we had a Memorial Day Better Call Saul not mm-hmm. episode, yeah. but uh, the uh, the other show I'm watching right now is The Americans. Uh, you never really got into that, but that's the show where the um, it's set in the '80s with the deep cover Soviet spies. Yeah, I know. That, I know the concept. Yeah. yeah, I'm also explaining it to the listeners. Okay, uh, you know, deep cover Soviet spies living in Virginia, DC area, he was a good man. and it's uh, cool. It, it's interesting because you know it's it's two operatives who are paired up as hus- as the covers husband and wife, and you know in the previous season you know like they're a family now. They have two kids. You know. So they've actually fallen in love, even though they were kind of smashed together. And in this season, they get to part of the one of the plot lines is that you know they're about done with their deep cover and want to go back. And how do they deal with their kids? Their older daughter knows what they do. Their son's oblivious to the whole thing. And. Like, they've made the decision, they're going to start doing the transition back to Russia. One of the one of the things is, like, do they go now and bring their kids, or do they wait till the kids are eight adults and give them the choice? You know, that kind of thing. Which is just a couple years away. But then, you know, they made the decision to go back, and then uh, one of the operations that the husband is running... Like is going to be like super fruitful because the guy he's spying on is like promoted to the head of the Soviet division, you know. And like if he reports this information back to the KGB, they're going to like not let him retire. So, um, okay. because I mean he has a source mm-hmm. that you know you can't just drop another person into the same source, right? He's developed this source, this cover, you know, this whole thing. So. If you know, it's like the first time he's conflicted on whether he should withhold information from his bosses to to so he can get what he personally wants, 
versus what's best for the country. And that's kind of I don't I don't think it's the end of the season. It could have been the end of the season, but that's you know where it's I think ended. it was the end of the season. Yeah, so that's where it ends right now. But uh you know, it definitely an interesting a lot of a lot of family dynamics and you know and whatnot trying to and I, I'm really curious to see where it goes from now, right? Because you know, this whole monkey wrench thing and uh Another neat thing about it is like the Russian scenes, like where they're in the the, the um, Russian embassy in DC, or they're in Russia. Uh, it's subtitled; it's all in Russian, and they use Russian actors. So you know, like they don't dumb it down to make it appealing. So that's cool too. I mean, I'm not saying it's cool just because of that. It's it's a nice touch on the show. That remember, this is the guy who likes the Rogue One seen just because it's a cool space battle. Asshole. I had to. Asshole. Had to. It was so cool when the ships jumped out of hyperspace and smashed into that other ship. <laughs> I love space battle. Yeah? What's wrong with that? Nothing's wrong with it, but watching a two-hour movie to see that dumb shit is kind of I only impressive. saw it once. It's not like I went back and saw it a second time to watch the awesome space battle a second time. I saw that you uploaded Rogue One to, to me, and I, I... I figured you'd like it, but then again, I realized that... Why would you like that movie? Because it sucks. I haven't watched it, so there. I mean, I agree, it was neat, but that's all it was, and yeah. it was like... Yeah. No, there was a lot of shit. Yeah. A lot of shit. Um, I, I, I should have... I didn't think of this, and I spent, you know, all afternoon cleaning this office, which hardly looks like I've touched it. Um, it was a fucking disaster, and um, I should have took the kids to see Guardians too. Yeah, Guardians two was great. I it was. I mean, I, I really enjoyed it because it was a lot like uh, Empire in the sense that it's really concentrating on characters. It's really about these characters and who they are, and and their outlooks and and, and their yeah. dynamics. The the story because of that becomes more memorable. It's like, do you remember the end of, of Guardians One? Mm-hmm. I mean, kind of, but like, it was a big one of those big explosion battles, right? There's you know a battle at the end here, but you remember like who the who the people were in there because the, there's actual social dynamics and there's characters that are mm-hmm. important. So. It's a really good expansion of the first one by not doing the same thing as the first one by really concentrating <laughs> on the characters. The yeah. right thing to do in a sequel. I want to see it before it disappears out of theaters, so it means I got to do it soon because it's yeah. Last week I wanted to do it, but the kids like after camping, the kids were just too tired; they would have fallen asleep in the mm-hmm. theater. And today. Would have been a good day with the rain and everything. I just came home from a Mali soccer game, started cleaning, and the next thing I know, it's 8 o'clock. It's like, fuck. <laughs> Stuff. Things. I had an interesting conversation with somebody on, on, the, uh, on the internets. He was defending uh, uh, Aquinas, and for those who aren't familiar, Aquinas is uh, 
One of those old uh, Aristotelian thinkers back in the 12th century. Kind of a lot of the basis for Catholicism and classical theism is based on Aquinas' thinking. He has this thing called the Five Ways, and I won't really get into it, but, but uh, this guy was sort of expanding upon the First Way. Uh, basically, these are the ways in which you would understand that God exists. Uh, all from logical deduction. N- none of it's from evidence. It's all basically from like logical deduction. And I thought it might be interesting to go over sort of how what he said and then how I kind of would, would all right. get out of that. So here's his uh, definition. So I'll, I'll just read his post and I'll, I'll point out where I would interject things. Okay. Um, Aquinas spends many tra- chapters deriving the divine attributes. I'll cover a few briefly here to get the flavor. Here's where he starts. Matter and energy can both change location, change configuration, come together, break apart, and so on. So they have all kinds of potential to change. Oh, I should mention, the the big thing about Aquinas is is this distinction between potential and actual. So he is saying that there is stuff that is actuality and stuff that is potentiality. It's essentially a, a... a perception or, or a way of, of explaining causation, right? Things you have a actuality that can cause a potential. Something is potential, but it needs something actual to cause it to occur. Okay. Uh, and, and Aquinas is saying that if you go back, there has to be a first cause. This is the 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 first way. There has to be a, a pure actuality to cause things to occur. To cause potential. So everything that exists has potentiality and actuality, but this is a pure actuality with no potentiality. It's kind of confusing, I know, but All right. it, there's... It, it's 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 rigorous in, in terms of 12th century logic. It really fails when you try to start to appreciate things like kinematics. But <laughs> I won't uh, go on to that yet. Um, let's just go on to these things. Matter and energy can both change location, change configuration, come together, break apart, and so on. So they have all kinds of potential to change. Something that is pure actuality with no potentials must therefore be immaterial. Okay. Like, it can't change. It doesn't have the potential to change. It's pure actuality. It's pure ability. It's pure... It's not material because it doesn't have the concept of material inside of it. This is his argument. Having a special location means being movable or having parts that are actually located over here but not actually located over there. Something that is pure actuality with no potentials cannot move or change or have parts that are non-actual. Therefore, pure actuality is spaceless. So, okay. Immaterial, spaceless. Materialless, you could say. Spaceless. I don't know if I agree with it, but I'm following the argument. I don't get how everything that is... Actual actuality is that's kinetic, right? That's or, no, that's not drawing. Not really. No, you're um, you're 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 applying better thinking than he has. <laughs> um, all right. So the, the the okay. So let me talk around. Yes. My question. You can give me the right terms in okay. the 12th century okay. Aquinas thinking. So something that... Yes, Denise, hold on. 
<laughs> okay, I'm good. Uh, so you have the actuality and the potentiality, right? Those are the two terms. Yeah. So actuality is... So this is not that closely tied to kinetic and potential. No, no, this is this is right. way before this, Newton. Right. This is before we had a real understanding of that kind of stuff. So this is this is about movement and change, really. And movement and change. But if it's actualized, then it's it's like its position and state is known, right? This is like being able to observe like no, the, no, the Aquinas would say no. In fact, a, the pure actualness is just the motivation behind change, not the change itself. So the change itself is potential, but the motivation is pure. So the part I'm having a hard time figuring out is it sounds like maybe I'm miscategorizing the potentiality. Maybe I'm trying to argue something that I don't disagree with completely, so I'm trying to... Sure, sure. I understand. So the problem I'm having a hard time understanding is that, to me, the thing that you're describing as actualized is not actualized, but it's actually the potential. Like, because... Because you're you're thinking in terms of modern terms. Yeah. Um, This is... It is part of part of my big thing with this is that it's 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 a bunch of terms that are thrown around, a bunch of premises that are smuggled in, uh, and it's kind of intentionally confusing because of the language that it uses. So I sort of agree with you there. Um, okay, it might be better to switch those around in some sense. Like, I mean, I, I don't know if he's defining potential different from what I'm imagining potential. Uh, he, is. but the way he's yes, absolutely, but the way he's defining actualized. See. It sounds like so. Just think of it as pure as motivation and possibility. Uh, I think that might be a better way to look at it. Okay. Uh, so things but that exist both... have things that exist have both. They have both motivation and possibility. But in order to start the whole chain, you need just pure motivation and no possibility. It's a, it's a weird I, argument. I, I don't get that. I mean. Sure, I'm, I'm several centuries behind yeah. the times here, but I uh, ahead of the times, really. But if I can, let me continue. Okay, because you can try, but it, okay. It, I mean, it. I agree that you know you, you kind of need a, a ref- you need sort of a. I mean, you're honestly arguing that pop tarts is the best breakfast at this point. I mean, <laughs> but but let me. I, I just want to show you where this kind of thinking starts to fall apart, especially as he's as this guy's presenting. So if subject to so there's a modern time internet guy who thinks this is like the shit that explains the world. Yeah. All right, let's talk about that. Okay, so we got according to his logic, immaterial, and from that same concept, spaceless. Right? If you if you agree with his concept, so far there's nothing wrong with his logic yet that I can tell. Right. The premises seem to follow. Like, the conclusions seem to follow from the premises. If subject to the effects of time, it would have potential to get older than it was. But since it has no potentials, it has no potential to get older. Therefore, pure actuality is timeless. So you get immaterial, spaceless, and timeless. And I was like, okay, I'm following you on this point. And I, I don't agree with it, but I'm following you. Timeless, immaterial, spaceless. Next. If there is a distinction between two things, that means one has something the other lacks. But pure actuality does not have potentials and therefore 
lacks nothing. So pure actuality is singular. There is only one such thing. Red flag! Right? I'm going to call a flag on this place. Immaterial, spaceless, timeless, and then singular? No. No. By your, by his very definitions, countless. Like, not, not countable. Not having any count nature. Mm-hmm. Not being, not having the countedness quality. But his his whole thing was about how no material quality, no spatial quality, no time quality. And then he goes to whether it's, it has a countedness, and he says no, it has to be one. That's like that. That's like saying it has to be Tuesday. Whereas no, you said it was timeless. Okay. So to me, it's like. He's already getting far off his argument. Then, if there is a distinction between two things, that means... Oh, that, no, no, sorry, I was over that. Pure actuality is the source of all potentials being actualized. Anything that happens is a potential thing becoming actual. Therefore, anything that ever happens or could happen is caused by pure actuality. So pure actuality is capable of doing anything and is therefore all-powerful. Again, totally way off from what he was talking about before. It doesn't have power. It's powerless. Power is not a concept because he's, he's saying material is not a concept. Space is not a concept. Time is not a concept. Then he's saying that count has a concept and that power has a concept. It, it's, these, it, it's this pushing in of these premises that when you look at it, it's easy to get confused by the language. But if you really say are you being consistent it's not consistent at all he goes on to say things like it's all knowing which no it doesn't have knowledge as a concept you can't I don't see how you get there and then he says it's all good which is the one that like fucks up everything here's his all good argument we can say that a thing is good not in the sense of being something we personally like you may think a good pizza has anchovies, whereas others may not. But in the sense of being a better example of what it is supposed to be. When a thing better exemplifies its perfect archetype. For example, an elephant that takes care of its young, has all four legs, ears, and the trunk is good or closer to good in the sense we mean here. If the elephant lacks something, such as a leg or one of its ears, it would not be as good as it would be if it had both ears. Since pure actuality has no potentials, it lacks nothing. Therefore, is all no, good. When he says good, does he mean effective? Or does he mean... Like, he means closer to, to an ideal description. Ideal. Which is silly, because his whole point is that it would be descriptionless. There wouldn't be an archetype. For, there would no, be no way to describe something that was pure actuality by his reasoning. So to then say it, it, it matches a perfect archetype, there wouldn't. How could you have an archetype for something that that is pure non-archetypeness? It, it's this. It, I don't mean to you know, this to be like me expressing exactly why my um, argument against him is working, but why his arguments why that kind of argumentation fails because it's it's smuggling in and just taking premises 
out of nowhere that really, you know, you start on this one process of logical thinking where you are taking this thing out of being, right? Out of out of material being, out of time being, out of uh, space being. And then you're applying other attributes to it, but you're not doing the same thing. You're not taking it out of being. You're then saying, well, since I can't conceptualize how this can work, it must be all of this. As opposed to, no, it doesn't have this property at all. Okay. It, it's, it's just more about how thinking of this type gets confused because it, it's, it's not about... It doesn't follow from its premises. It really, it starts to jump into different premises and starts to really jump around. But it's hard to see when it's written in kind of a non-mathematical language in a sense because it right. the things are very easy to uh, to compare or very easy to, 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 to make it look like it's something different than it is. Okay. I didn't get too much of that. But okay. Uh, yeah, part of it is, you know, I was trying to apply modern reasoning to something that was written well, I, I had... years ago. Here's, here's this funny thing. So I had this response to uh, another um, thing that I got a lot of upvotes for. Because, um... Where was it? Uh, here, here is my response to, to the first cause, essentially. I'll just read it out. Uh, this the first cause. Uh, it's an understanding of rooted in ancient incorrect assumptions about the concepts of both movement and change. Galileo kicked off a revolution with the basic principles of relativity and inertia, which Newton took, combined with Kepler's data, and wiped the floor with all of these silly arguments. I believe the only reason the arguments still persist is because of their vagueness. I often notice supporters of these classical cosmological arguments equivocating and smuggling in premises with reckless abandon. Equivocation means uh, I'm going to say something, I'm going to say something else, and I'm going to make them sound like they're equal, but they're not really, if you examine them closely. Mm -hmm. Um, They tend to get away with it because the language they use intentionally lacks specificity. When you push them on it, you find their definitions aren't so definite. Here's the part I really like. I have not yet met a staunch defender of Aquinas that has demonstrated even a decent understanding of the kinematics. I look forward to the day I encounter such a rare unicorn. And what I mean by that is the people who believe this really, I've never met anyone who believes this, who really thinks this is right, who also has a good understanding of what the modern conception of, even like a a 17th century Newtonian conception of motion actually is. Mm Uh, because this is all about motion and change and we kind of understand change from a a lot more nuanced perspective and 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 a lot more uh, detail which throws away a lot of this ambiguity that they're kind of trading in okay Uh, I mean if you just take a look at the third you know Newton's third law it implies reciprocality, right? It implies that uh, you, know, you have a force, there's an equal and opposite force. So there is no starting force under Newtonian physics. Mm-hmm. There's equal and opposite things. There's not a start. Now, you can argue about whether other things come in the way, uh, especially when we get into quantum mechanics and things like that. There's different ways to interpret how things are going, but... 
just having a decent understanding of kinematics would, would throw the whole first cause into oblivion because you understand there you can't just cause something without having that being affecting you as well. You can't just affect something and not be affected by it. Which is still that is still a modern thing that we have. You can't right. you know that that is the the measurement problem essentially, which is you can't affect something and not be affected by it. Or the this, same way around. Yeah, this Aquinas stuff reminds me of uh, back when Heather and I were getting married and we was talking with the priest. This is two thousand one, right? I didn't have nearly the Oh yeah, the Aquinas uh, stuff is the basis for Catholic. For well, I didn't have nearly the the maturity in my current belief system as I have now, right? Yeah. Part apathy, part not thinking about, you know, just going with the flow. But I remember when I, we were talking with the priest, I was talking about, the thing I was really hung up on at that point was whether, how does the Catholic Church not, so what was it, they accepted the Big Bang at that point, but you couldn't inquire to what caused the Big Bang other than the touch of God, that kind of thing. Right. I need to, and, I need to pee. I'm sorry to right. interrupt. Because you're on a good point, but it's like now I'm getting okay. If I don't pee now, then I'm going <laughs> to pee my pants. All so right. uh, I don't want to pee my pants, but okay. hold that thought. Sure. So now it's time for me and the audience to just kind of have a little chit chat. What am I going to chit chat about? Um, I guess I could talk about adventures in 3D printing. Uh, you know, uh, still having a good time with that. Getting to the point where I've, like, printed all, like, the, the quick and easy stuff that I wanted to do, and I'm trying to find a more interesting, more involved project. You know, um, gears, um, housings for other things that I've disassembled. Like, I've taken apart some remote, like, not good remote control cars, but, like, janky toy store remote control cars, and... I'm thinking now that I can actually make the frame to the specifics that I want to make, uh, I can reuse some of those gearboxes, motor mounts, things like that, and actually do something with that. So that's kind of the one thing that I'm working on. Um, I've got a couple more things. I'm, I'm planting, um, printing uh, some of those plant watering bulb things that they have. The thing is my printer... You gotta print those vertically where the spout sticks up in the air. And a printer only can print about 140 millimeters off the build plate because of the uh, stabilization braces that I made. Uh, where normally we should be able to do about 185 millimeters. So I'm losing about 45 millimeters. Uh, so I'm probably gonna work on changing that by. Uh, I gotta cut some screws. I actually take some of these screws I put in and, and cut them so they're not sticking out so far. That'll let me get up higher. Uh, Greg's back, so now we can get back to Catholic priest Catholic. talking about the Big Bang. Yes. Start of the Big Bang. Yeah. All right. So right before we got married, we had to meet with the priest and stuff, and you know, one of the things. You know, I wasn't even agnostic at that point. If anything, I was apathetic, but I liked science. And, you know, I was curious about the church's story about the Big Bang because I heard that they don't disagree with the Big Bang. That, And uh, so 
uh, it wasn't a quote from that priest about like you not inquiring what happened before the guy, but one of the things that he mentioned, and this is what ties into this Aquinas stuff you're talking about, is that you know that they believe in a mover, mm-hmm. right? So there is a thing. This is the this is the original actuality. Yes, the right? pure actuality. Pure right. actuality. So yeah, there's this. And if you start not trying to think of potential versus actuality, but this is, I mean, if you want to kind of equate it to, if you want to try to mesh it with science one way, it's the thing that touch off the Big Bang, right? That's, right, yeah. That's the pure actuality. Um, but that's, that's interesting because if that's the mover, how does all this moral shit get into it, you know? That comes from the the other arguments that that so he, one of my big problems with with Aquinas and his thinking is even if you like accept some of the basic premises then you still have to um assume a, a hell of a lot which is what they're all doing they're, they're they're making a ton of assumptions like like i said when it when i was doing this argument you, you timeless spaceless blah 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 but then you get into oh singular and then all knowing so it's like infinite also but it's like no well, wait a minute we talked about how it doesn't have any, these properties at all mm-hmm. so how can you so it is this this incredible ambiguity now it's true that we don't have an understanding of of what caused the big bang um but that doesn't mean that God did it. It just means we don't understand it. So when you start making those assumptions, and you can, to a certain extent, start to apply assumptions, but every assumption you make beyond your first one is another assumption that has less stuff to work on and has less mm-hmm. things that, that you're comparing it to. And all, and all of a sudden you find yourself lost in the woods. Because how can you know any of that stuff? It's funny because I had this conversation about the Big Bang recently with somebody where you know they have a completely bad interpretation of the Big Bang, which I totally understand. I said that, you know, pop science really makes a mess of the Big Bang. And I'm, I want to make this clear. So what we have as understanding of the Big Bang is, is two, there are two things that are kind of important. There's one is that the Big Bang takes place in uh, an Einsteinian universe. So uh, Einsteinian, there's an equation, the Einstein field equations, really, a couple of equations, but you could boil it, you could boil it down to one if you really want to. Everything that we have in terms of understanding large scale structures are solutions to these equations, right? They're ways that that you know that you, you can apply things such that um, the answers then don't aren't. Illogical. They make sense. The, the current metric we have is called F. So the, the, the solutions are called metrics. The current metric that we understand that best represents the uh, the universe is something called FLDR, Friedman, LaRue, something, something. Wait, FLDR is the name of the people. But it's the current metric we have for expanding a sort of isotropic uh, flat space time that we seem to see around us. It's a solution to the field equations, and it, it looks like what we see around us and then there's a you can run that back in time by applying certain parameters and the current parameterization that we use is something called lcdm lcdm stands for lambda cold dark matter so lambda is the cosmological constant that's the thing that is explained in einsteinian physics as causing the expansion of the universe and cold dark matter is the explanation for the rotation curves of galaxies that we see. 
the reason why it's called cold dark matter is because it's not hot, meaning it's not relativistic like neutrinos. It's not moving very fast. Okay. So LCDM is, is the current parameterization that we use. FLDR is the metric. I have severe doubts about LCDM. Uh, I have real doubts about dark matter and uh, and cosmological constant. But basically, there, there are ways to explain. So lambda, the L, the L part of LCDM is dark energy. The CDM part is dark matter. Okay. Together, 95 to 96% of the energy that we measure in the universe. Uh, so we can explain 4 to 5% basically. So yeah, it, it, mm-hmm. I, I have real doubts. Then again, at the same time, I have real doubts, but I don't have any good reason to doubt yet LCDM. I don't have any good reason to say that LCDM is wrong. I have my, I have things that I think that you know, I don't know, but there are there's no model out there that is a better fit to what we observe in LCDM. There's no model out there that explains as much mm-hmm. as LCDM. So while I can have my, you know, I can like, mm, you know, I don't know. I, th- I think we're on. If, I think we're, you know, I think there are problems with it. I think there are s- serious problems. I cannot say this is how it works. Not LCDM. No, I'm, I'm kind of forced in. I'm back into a corner here, and I have to say LCDM fits. LCDM is 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 the thing that, that seems to, to work the best with what we see. Uh, so from my perspective, that's what I you know try to tell people and teach people is LCDM because it's the best understanding, even though I have my doubts. Mm-hmm. So the thing about the Big Bang is that there's this concept that it occurred out there somewhere, and here we are, thirteen point eight billion light years away from it, or wherever you want to look at it. No, the Big Bang happened everywhere is the thing that's hard to explain. Happened right here in front of you. It was just that all that space was compressed into a very tiny volume at the time. Mm-hmm. But the Big Bang occurred everywhere. And it and then that volume of space expanded. But it happened everywhere. So that's, I mean, I think that's a pretty easy thing to get as long as you appreciate that time also started as we understand yeah. I mean you know think about how can you define causality for example without time we don't because we d- d- causality is explicitly determining time the time difference between things right. that happen right. so how can you say oh well this ha-, you know there was God before the Big Bang. Well, how do you know that there was a, a before the Big Bang is even a co- it's not even a coherent concept as far as I know. Uh, and uh, the other thing I want to point out is that they often. I mean, this is kind of I'm, this is off the cuff thinking, but you know, this is kind of where um, I guess creation kind of has something right, right? Because like at you know, on the first day you know like stuff was time was made you know that kind of thing you know so well i mean that's but, our that's our current conception is that there was this sort of there was this point where really the best explanation the best way i can put it is the universe as we understand underwent a phase change we mm-hmm. don't so you know as time goes back, we, we reach this 
infinity point called, called the singularity. A lot of people talk about the singularity like it exists, but it doesn't exist. And I can explain what a singularity is that might make it more apparent to you why it doesn't really exist. So a good example of a singularity, a mathematical singularity, is if I do a function, why, uh, if I do the, 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 the function of x where it equals 1 over x. And what do you get? Well, you get this thing with this singularity of 0, right? Because you can't divide by zero. Mm -hmm. We don't know what happens there. It doesn't make any sense. That's a singularity. Mm -hmm. It becomes this this thing that doesn't make any sense in terms of, of our axioms of mathematics. That's what, hap that's what happens at the, big, at the quote unquote beginning of the Big Bang. We have this one, we have this divide by zero. Our math doesn't answer that question of what occurs there. So it's just this. Siri, what is 5 divided by Sorry, 0? I miss that. <laughs> Siri, what is 5 divided by 0? The same as 6 divided by 0. Undefined. Undefined. Siri, what is 0 divided by 0? Zero. 0. Imagine that you have 0 cookies and you split them evenly among 0 friends. How many cookies does each person get? See? doesn't make sense and cookie monster is sad that there are no cookies and you are sad that you have no friends <laughs> I would I would argue that that by the axioms of math zero divided by zero you could say it's e equal to zero or you could say it's equal to one because it's the same thing divided by the same thing and zero <laughs> is a natural number mm -hmm. um, but that gets into the confusion about why it could be zero or one. So again, you have this undefined thing, right? Um, but the point is that the singularity is actually undefined. There isn't really a thing called a singularity that, that we really understand. It, it, it's often tossed around in pop side, but it doesn't really exist. So we don't know. But there are singularities that we can that that are mathematical that we can mm -hmm. sort of explore and and in nature and really a great example is phase change when you go from water to ice for example there's a, a singularity you pass and there's kind of this instability across these different regions you have a, a large stability in sort of the water region you have a large stability in sort of the ice region but as you cross there is a sort of instability that we don't totally understand yet but we can map it okay so uh, the, the concept here would be that the universe was in a different state that we didn't understand, and then it moved into this other state, and we can rewind the clock back really, really far with our current map, but we can't get all the way back. And so we don't know what the previous state was. We have no idea. We have no idea whether it even existed. Right. Whether existence is a concept that makes sense. Gotcha. I mean, to simplify, to simplify it in my head is, and, and again, I feel like I'm repeating myself because this is something we've talked about many times in the post show. It's kind of the core of my belief system, but you know, it's it's all about the evidence, and if there's no evidence, mm -hmm. it's exactly equal to not being there at all. And exactly, if, you know, this beginning of the universe thing. 
because of some reason any evidence of what happened before if happening before is even a sensible statement is not available to us it it's unobservable mhm and uh maybe we'll be able to develop techniques in the future to examine this thing maybe we'll be able to probe things that we we don't understand yet I suspect it is the case that our current understanding is flawed, right? There's no reason for me to think that our current understanding is what we will achieve in the future, because if you look in the past, we've had that before. Uh, we look at uh, aether theory, the caloric theory, the four humors, right? These, these are all mm -hmm. concepts that were well accepted at the time, mm -hmm. but uh, when we finally understood what was going on, it turned out to be uh, a lot more complicated, but in a weird way, both a lot more complicated and a lot, and a lot simpler. Uh, the the answer to uh, to, for example, caloric theory was a lot was a lot simpler, but also a lot more complicated. <laughs> you had to understand that there was not a, a fluid that was causing heat. There was the heat, there was heat, or there was the absence of heat, which is some some simpler, mm -hmm. very a lot simpler, but then the dynamics of heat exchange became a lot more complicated. Right. I mean, so I heard this recently, I can't remember where, but mathematicians deal in absolutes answers. Yes. Scientists deal in the best approximation. Yeah, oh, for sure. Evidence for sure. Can. So, like, you know, Newton wasn't right. Einstein wasn't right. But they were a hell of a lot better than anyone else mm -hmm. that was alive at the same time. The the thing that you know we talked we talked a little bit about this Aquinas stuff and what what is never mentioned in the Aquinas stuff, never even conceptually thought of, is the concept of margin of error, right? There's no concept of you know well we can make a measurement but then you have you know this you have this mm -hmm. error bar associated with it mm -hmm. and that you know that comes into modern measurements modern thinking but there was this. Not there was a sort of absolutism uh, that didn't accept that there are things that you can't know about using your current understanding. There are tolerances that you have, mm -hmm. and if you you had those have to be as far as we know right now. Those are fundamentally a part of any um, epistemological. Framework epistemology meaning how we know things. That that's what epistemology is. So any modern epistemological framework includes the concept of margin of error and includes the concept of how of you know uncertainty effects. We have a much greater understanding of what's going on in reality, but we don't have a full understanding, and it's it's uh, very likely that we can't if you follow the. Um, conceptions of uh, Godel, for instance, uh, of Gödel, and uh, and you know people uh, came after him like uh, Turing and and, uh, and um, others. Uh, Tank brought, I think, his name. Tank and brought. Um, there are things in in our at least in our basic rational system of logic that are undecidable. There are things that can't be determined. If we come up with some sort of hyper logic that is able to determine, okay, but using our current method of rationality and logical uh, and following through logically things, there are things that if you get complicated enough, you can't determine them. So you you learn to either accept this and 
and it fixes this as part of your epistemology and part of how you look at knowledge or you don't accept this and then you're forced into a hole where you have to accept I think some kind of greater than you force greater than than I don't even know what that really means exactly but something that is more sovereign than you are to your reality okay. an architect of sorts uh, I think that, that that's where the theism falls in and I understand that from a, a broadly speaking psychological perspective but I don't I don't have that in my theory of knowledge. I can't I can't accept that because the way I look at the world, that idea of an omnipresent architect that is setting things up does not make sense with the way we understand the world now. I mean, it really just completely clashes with it. It, it, it is fundamentally untrue based on what we understand. I'm adding that concept based on what we understand because I think that's important. That's that's my error bar here. Mm-hmm. Right. That that's my thing that you know I can't. I don't know everything and I can't. Right. The. Um, no, I mean, I, I agree with, with the the error bar part of it. Right. I mean, you know, that was. One of the things I have, some podcasts I was listening to where, you know, scientists say, you know, the mathematicians deal in the absolutes. All the scientists are just approximating Mm -hmm. reality based on the evidence they have and will probably never have the final uh, schematic of the universe. Right. Right, it's just going to be approximating what we're observing. We're going to get better, more accurate, and more fine-grained as time goes on, but never going to figure it all out. And you know, we talk, when, you know, we talk about Newton and Einstein. You know, and and the thing about Newton is Newton. You know, it's it's often said Newton was wrong. Newton wasn't wrong. He just was looking at a particular. He was more right than everyone else that was around. Absolutely, but he was looking at a particular set of cir- of um, circumstances, mm-hmm. which. The more complete understanding, the more general understanding, the Einsteinian view, reduces down to Newtonian physics if you look at that circumstances mm-hmm. the student was looking at. But when you look at the bigger picture, there's more going on. Right. There's more nuance mm-hmm. to, 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 to what's happening. And at the same time, it's actually, again, so it's more, there's more nuance, there's more complexity, and it's simpler in some sense. Right. Because what you're defining as a frame that, that's uh, inertial... From Newtonian perspective, right? If if it's a good way, let's see what's a good way to look at it. Uh, if you're on a, if you're just sitting down on a train, you know, on a train station, you feel the force of gravity pulling down. That's and that's really the only force you feel. Mm-hmm. Let's let's assume that's the only force you feel. And if you if you see a train moving past, or start moving, right? Then you'll see. The train moving and people then are being are staying in the same place from perspective, and the train is then catching up to. Them. And if they're let's say they're on roller skates, mm-hmm. uh, and somehow they are in your same frame of reference, the mm-hmm. train starts to move. Mm-hmm. Then the train, and the, I'm trying to define this in a way. 
that, uh, that that makes sense. But the train starts moving, and the train essentially the back of the train catches up to them, and then mm-hmm. starts to move them along with the train. Uh, so from your perspective, they have the force of gravity, and then there's a train coming along that is then pushing them. You know, they're mm-hmm. feeling this this other force in this other direction. From the perspective of you on the train, your feeling still that you have both the force of gravity and now you have this backwards force on you this mm-hmm. other force which feels natural to you it feels like a real force mm-hmm. but it's fictitious from the perspective of somebody on the train because they don't see that they see it as you you are staying still and the thing is moving and the thing eventually starts to accelerate you starts to push you along okay whereas you feel it as mm-hmm. just you're being you feel it essentially as another gravity as a second gravity mm-hmm. that's pushing back right. so really you have this force that's going down and this force that's going like backwards so you have this kind of combined force that's going kind of midway okay diagonal and you can actually test this with uh, if you if you get you take your car for example we'll just we'll do a truck here and you put a pendulum mm-hmm. with a ball and a helium balloon Mm -hmm. and you start accelerating and the pendulum is going to be tilted down and the balloon is going to be tilted up on that vector on that same Mm -hmm. vector right um so it's it's the that's what a fictitious force is it's it's you're feeling something else Mm -hmm. but here's what i've I've seen the helium balloon thing it's weird right because it's moving in the slosh of air in the car, and yeah, when you hit the gas, the balloon goes forward because mm-hmm. the 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 mass of the mylar and the string isn't overcoming the uh, uh, all the air is pushing towards the back window, and the balloon's lighter, so it floats towards the front. But look at it this way: you could also interpret this if, if the Windows in the car were blacked out, and you had a great shock absorber, so you didn't know whether you were moving. Yeah, you could also interpret like that, that you, you were on a tilt. Yeah. Um, so that is the equivalence principle in a nutshell, that mm-hmm. you can't tell a difference between acceleration and, an, and, and, uh, and a force, and, and what Newton would describe as a force. Mm-hmm. So essentially yeah. what Newton is saying is that gravity is this thing that's, that, that's pulling down on you. What Einstein is saying, no... Gravity is this thing accelerating up at you. Okay. And the difference is Newton defined inertial frames as, okay, this is a frame that is not accelerating. We gotta wrap this up. I gotta pee. Okay. Einstein defined inertial frames not as a thing that's not accelerating, but as a frame that's in free fall. So there has okay. no the, the right. distinction being so from a Newtonian from from an inertial frame if you had a ball and you let go of it it would stay there because yeah. there are no forces on it okay but Einstein realized that that means that the 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 best interpretation of that is something in free fall mm-hmm. would be just like that as opposed to having this the, the Newtonian sort of gravity force. And therefore, that gets to the whole big thing. It all depends on where you're at, right? Because if you're far enough away in the middle of space where there's no nearby gravity sources, it's kind of like Newton's thing, if you're far enough away. 
At least for a short period of time. For for yeah, for a reasonable enough period of time. Uh, although you could eventually measure. And then, in way Ensign's talking about, you're in our solar system, falling towards the sun at a much higher rate than than Newton's cube is. Well, from your perspective, space. you are staying still, and the sun is rushing up to oh, sure. you. No, I understand that. And but I'm just saying, if you're far enough away from anything massive, then your your acceleration to wherever you're going is going to be so slow that it's practically floating. Yeah. Yes. And then if you're in a neighborhood where there's massive things, you're gonna be falling towards it. Right. But if you're in free fall, then you're falling relative to the thing you're watching. Right, which is the equivalence which you know, which could be described as if you're in a box that's moving upwards at nine point and accelerating upwards at nine point eight meters per second per second, mm-hmm. that feels the same as if you're in a box on Earth. And then just to counter myself and just to counter myself, if you're out in that interstellar space where I was talking about where Newton's thing makes sense. Technically, you're still free-falling towards something. Yes. Very slowly. And you don't even see it. And electrostatic force is going to be more powerful. Yeah. Closer range. Could be, yeah. But you're... you're Because gravity doesn't ultimately end, as far as we understand it, uh, then, yeah, you're, you're... you're accelerating towards something, whether you will ever get there, particularly with the expansion of the universe. Right. If you take that into account. Whether the acceleration is even measurable. Right. You're still going towards something. Mm-hmm. You're all, and that's the thing is, is movement. Another thing that Aquinas didn't understand, and like I said, Galileo kind of got around to it, which is movement is only movement from a, pers- from, from a mm-hmm. reference frame, that, that the initial Galilean relativity. You can't, Nothing is moving in its own reference frame. Everything is still in its own reference frame, unless it's accelerating. All right, I gotta pee really, okay. really badly. We gotta wrap this up. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs>